This is the New Song Church podcast. You're listening to a service from our church in Oklahoma City. Wherever you're at today, we hope this helps you to better know God and to practice the way of Jesus. Now here's the message. Well, good morning, New Song Church. How you doing? Good to see you this morning. Hey, would you help me welcome everybody that's joining us online? Thank you so much. Come on, guys, let them know. Also, one more time, let's just lift up a shout of praise to our great God this morning. Lord, we love you. We praise you. Welcome you in this place. Wasn't that worship so good today? So good. I really believe God is doing something in this house. I believe he's calling us to a different level of praise. I I really do. I think some of what we, we worshiped and sang this weekend is true for this house. I think something's changing, something's shifting, and I believe that God has called us to be leaders in, in worship. I was, I was studying yesterday that when David established the tabernacle, in fact, I'm going to talk about this next week, when David established the tabernacle, uh, it was the first time that they ever had like bands and musicians, like that whole thing was set up, it's the first time. And, uh, and, and David's first like worship team was 4,000 members. <laughs> like this, it's a serious worship team. But, but it, it points to this idea that like, it's not just a little group that's leading up here. It's all of us. We are worship leaders. And I believe as a church, God has called this house to be a house of worship that leads in the body of Christ and what worship should look like. And I believe it's from that, that a move of God is going to really start to take place. So buckle up for next weekend. Going to be good. I'm also going to be giving you some information about the future of New Song Church, the next phase. So, uh, so come ready. Going to be exciting stuff. If you got your Bible, open up to Matthew chapter 20. Matthew chapter 20. How many of you are grateful for the Word of God? I sure am. Matthew chapter 20. We're in a we're going, to see, we're, we're going to be for the next few weeks in what we call here at New Song Church an unseries, an unseries. That means that we're not in a series, but that we're just kind of allowing God to speak a specific word every week. And so this week uh, I went to the Lord and I said on Monday, God, what do you want me to talk about? And this is the message that God laid on my heart. I want to talk to you today on the subject of a path to greatness, a path to greatness. I want to talk with you about what it looks like to walk in the greatness that God has called us to walk in. Now, I'm talking about greatness according to the kingdom of God, not according to the kingdom of this world. Like in the world, greatness looks like, you know, having a bunch of Bitcoin and having a bunch of followers on some social media platform and driving a Tesla. That's not what I'm talking to you about today. I want to talk to you about greatness according to the kingdom of God. And and we have to start here. You have to first recognize that God has called you to be great. Like, I hope you recognize today that God has called you to be great. In fact, let me say it like this. You were created in the image of a great God. So you are an image bearer of greatness. How many of you agree God is great? We believe that we serve a great God. And so doesn't it just make sense if we're image bearers of him, if we're called to display his image in this world, that that image would be a great image, not a pathetic image. That wouldn't, we don't want to display a pathetic image because our God isn't pathetic. We're called to bear his image. And so that means that we're called to greatness. Look at the person beside you. And I know you don't like doing this, but look at him and tell him you're called to something great. Sarah told me last week and she said, don't make us talk to each other. We don't like that. (laughs) Well, tough. Okay. Make you talk to each other sometimes. But here's what, here's the problem is that we live in a world where the enemy has twisted this concept. So there's something in you that wants to bear the image of greatness. 
And so the, the, the enemy plays on this and he plays on it through this concept of like fame. And what he wants to do is sell you on this shortcut concept of arriving at this place of fame and, and getting there through like shortcut means. And so what that means is that we'll do dumb stuff, we'll do compromising stuff, we'll do weird stuff in order to arrive at this place of fame. Like look no further than, you know, you want to see some dumb stuff in the name of fame, like look no further than stuff like TikTok. Or maybe don't get on TikTok. Maybe, maybe I'll encourage you not to get on TikTok, okay? But, but, but it, it's a picture of what exists in this world. And so the enemy comes and he says, hey, you can get there. Like you've got something in you that's calling you to greatness. But I'll, I'll give you a version of that. It's called fame. And I'll get you there a different route. But, but God has called us to walk down this path of greatness. And it's through the path that we actually develop what's necessary to be able to stand in the greatness of God and maintain the greatness of God in this world. This is how God put it to me this week. The process of the path produces the power for the platform. It's in the process of the path that we're able to receive of the power necessary to stand on the platform. In other words, let me put it like this. It's a bad idea to be shooting your first free throws in game seven of the NBA finals, a one-on-one -on -one, one -on -one, with no time left on the clock down by one. Like at that moment, you don't want to be going, how does this work? Right? Like you want to have had a lot of practice in the gym leading up to that moment. So you have a confidence in that moment. And, and yet in the world today, there's so many people and they arrive at this place of fame, but they don't have any idea how to, how to handle what they have. And so we see these terrible things happening. We see people who are miserable. We see all this stuff because they're chasing after the wrong stuff and they're going about it the wrong way. But there is a path to the greatness of God being displayed through our life. I'm not talking about you being famous. I'm not talking about you making a name for yourself. I'm talking about you, you bearing the image of God in this world and making God's name great through your life. And so Jesus outlines what this path looks like. We're going to look at that today. And then Jesus displays how we carry this out. So let's dive into this this morning. If you're ready, say, I'm ready. Amen. All right, bow your heads, close your eyes. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. We ask you to speak to us through your word today. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. Matthew chapter 20, starting verse 20, says this. Then the mother of Zebedee's sons came to Jesus with her sons and kneeling down, asked a favor of him. What is it you want, he asked. She said, grant that one of these two sons of mine may sit at your right and the other at your left in your kingdom. Now this is, this is a really interesting scenario. The Bible is, if you study the Bible long enough, you're going to find there's a lot of comedy in the Bible. And this is one of those sections that has some comedy in it. It's actually really funny, okay? So you've got these, these two sons, the sons of Zebedee, James and John, who are also known as the sons of thunder. The sons of thunder, right? That, that sounds tough. That sounds, sounds like an ACDC cover band. Please welcome to the stage, the sons of thunder. Sounds kind of powerful. So you got these dudes and they're recognizing the greatness of Jesus. And they are recognizing that this Jesus, because Jesus talks about this more than any other thing, that this Jesus is going to establish a kingdom. And since they see the greatness of Jesus on display, they recognize this kingdom is going to be great and we would like a piece of that action. So we would like to be beside Jesus in this kingdom. So they want to ask of this, but they're, they're kind of nervous about asking it themselves. 
This reminds me of being in fifth grade. There was this girl I liked. Her name was Missy. And uh, <laughs> it's fifth grade, fifth grade relationships. Anybody remember fifth grade relationships? I was terrified of her, but I saw something in her that I liked. And so I went to my friend Nathan. I said, hey, Nathan, here's how this is going to go down, okay? On the playground today, we'll, you know, we'll be in our, our normal section that we're in because there's a girl's section, there's a boy's section at the playground at this time. We'll be in our section. I'm going to send you over to the girl's section. And I want you to go up to Missy, and I want you to ask her if she likes me, and if so, ask her if I can be her, her boyfriend. And so Nathan's like, okay, he's in. And so we're, we're out there hanging out in the playground. The boys are in our section. We're kind of doing our thing, you know, putting up the vibe, playground vibes. And, uh, and so I'm, I'm like, all right, Nathan, go. And so he heads over. And so I'm, I'm hanging out with the dudes and Nathan's now going over and I'm kind of like, I'm hanging out with the dudes, but I'm also kind of looking over here, trying to get a read on how this is going, hoping that I'm going to get a thumbs up from my friend. Like he's going to look at me and go, it's good, not this, right? And so I'm kind of looking and, and he's talking to her and it seems like it's taking longer than I thought it would. And then all of a sudden he looks at me and he goes, gives me the thumbs up, which means we're now an item which means we never talk to each other again for the rest of our life. <laughs> it just ended eventually. I remember getting, like there was a note one of us gave to the other one. It was kind of like, you know what? This is not what I thought it was going to be. This is, this is not. Here's my point. My point is that I was afraid to ask her myself, so I sent someone else to ask. This is exactly what's happening in this in this situation. The sons of thunder want to ask something of Jesus. So what do they do? They send their mommy to ask. <laughs> mom, would you go ask? And so mom goes up to Jesus. Hey, would you allow that in your kingdom, my sons can sit at one at your right, one at your left. I'll leave it up to you, Jesus. I'm not going to tell you where you should put them. Just if you could do this, that would be great. Now look at this. Jesus says this, verse 22. You don't know what you're asking. Jesus said, look at this to them, which here's what that tells me. They were there with mommy, <laughs> like me on the playground. Like they, they were there behind, like looking at Jesus going, good, yeah, right, like up, down. And Jesus says, you don't know what you're asking. In other words, here, here's what Jesus said. You, you, you may want the path, this greatness, but you don't understand the path that's going to be necessary to get there. He says this, uh, he says, can you drink of the cup that I am going to drink. What's that cup? It's the cup of the wrath of God. It's the cup of sacrificing your life for others. Can, can you drink of that? They don't know what he's talking about at this point. So they just say, yeah, we, we got it. We got, we, yeah, sure. We can do that. And so then Jesus begins to unpack what this actually looks like, what it looks like to, to walk in the greatness, what the path to greatness actually looks like in the kingdom. Verse 25, Jesus called them together and said, so now this is all his disciples. You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them and their high officials exercise authority over them, not so with you. So Jesus is saying, you guys see it a certain way because it's what you've seen modeled. You've seen this model where like to be great means that you boss other people around. Like you've got a position and from your position, now you get to tell other people what to do. He says, not so. That's not what my kingdom's all about. Verse 26, instead, whoever wants to become great among you must. Somebody say must. So this is a kingdom must from Jesus. You want to be great for the kingdom of God. You're called to be great. God wants you to bear his image of greatness. You must, look at this, must be your servant or you must be a servant. 
Verse 27, whoever wants to be first must be your slave or must be a slave. Verse 28, just as the son of man. So Jesus is talking to himself. He's saying, this is what you're going to see through my life. This is what you're seeing through my life. Just as the son of man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give a ransom and to give his life as a ransom for many. Now, if you've been around the church, if you've been around uh, Christianity for a while, you've probably noticed that this virtue of servanthood is a major virtue in the kingdom of God. Like it's a major thing in God's economy. We, we understand that. What we don't always understand here is what God is actually calling us to through servanthood. What he's actually inviting us to. Sometimes we miss out on that. So let me, let me try to illustrate it like this. Imagine after the service today, we're out in the lobby and I say, hey, I want to get you some ice cream. I'd like to get you ice cream. So let's, let's go over here to Brahms and we're going to go to Brahms and I'm going to get you ice cream at Brahms. Now, let me ask you, what am I inviting you to? I'm inviting you to ice cream. How am I getting you to ice cream? I'm getting you to ice cream through Brahms. Are you tracking with me? In the same way, Jesus is saying, hey, I'm calling you to go through servanthood to get to the greatness of God being on display in your life. But God, Jesus doesn't say, whoever wants to be great, like you're wrong, that's sinful. But sometimes we as God's people, we interpret it that way. We think of it like Jesus is saying to these guys, oh, you want to be great, do you? Okay, well, I'll teach you a lesson. Now you got to serve. That'll, that'll yank that wanting to be greatness stuff right out of you, serving. And so that's how we process servanthood. Okay, this is just God beating me down, you know, beating this, this idea of greatness out of me. But that's not what Jesus does. Jesus does not rebuke them for wanting to be great. What he says is it's through servanthood that you arrive at greatness. If you get nothing else out of this message, get this. God is not trying to move you from greatness to servanthood. He's trying to move you to greatness through servanthood. Not trying to move you from this place of greatness through servanthood. He's trying to move you to the greatness, to his image being displayed, the way he wants it displayed in this world. The greatness of God on display through servanthood. Because servanthood is the path to the greatness of God being displayed in our life. And if you don't want greatness, let me tell you what it's going to lead to. It's going to lead to apathy. If you don't want the greatness of God on display in your life, you're going to live, end up living an apathetic life. You know what an apathetic life is? It's in the name. It's a pathetic life. It's a life void of impact. It's a life void of purpose. God doesn't want you to live that way. God wants you to be great. He wants you to be great in your marriage. He wants you to be great for your children. He wants you to be great in, in your schools and in the workplace. He wants his image to be displayed in a great way. And so he invites us to servanthood to get there. And here's what's so beautiful is when we arrive at the greatness of God through servanthood, we arrive there from this very pure place. Because he recognized this was not my doing. I simply followed the path that God laid out before me. And he brought me to this great place. And so to God be the glory. This is not about fame. This is not about me making a name great for myself. This is about me displaying the image of my great God in this world. Being used by him. God's greatness. You see, servanthood is choosing to take the virtue of serving. And using it as a strength to help you accomplish great things for the kingdom of God. God is great and he wants to be seen as great in the world so that people will come to him and know him. And so he uses people like us. And one of the great things about 
about servanthood is it evens the playing field for everybody. In fact, I love how Martin Luther King said it. He said, everybody can be great because anybody can serve. Jesus doesn't say, whoever wants to be great, you got to be really smart. You got to have a great IQ, like be really intelligent. You got to be really good looking, like you got to be hot. Jesus didn't say that. And so you got to be strong. You got to be, like he doesn't say that. He says, whoever wants to be great must be a servant. So listen, anybody can be great because anybody can serve. Anybody can take our gifts and our talents, the things that God has given to us, and we can use those to do great things for the kingdom of God. And, and when, you, when you operate this way, you actually live a, a great life empowered by God. See, what, what you're doing is you're taking these gifts that God's given you, and by submitting them to servanthood, you're actually enabling God to empower them so they can become greater. So now because you've submitted this stuff to God and said, God, I'll, I'll take what you've given me and I'll, I'll use it for your glory. Now God can say, I can work with you. And he begins to come alongside us and partner with us and take the things about us that are gifts and talents and increase them so that he can be seen in this world through our life. This is the greatness of God on display. So, so Jesus displayed this. It's not a less than life. In fact, look at what Jesus said, verse 28. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Now, it's not even arguable that the greatest person in human history is Jesus. Like, we know that, right? I hope you know that. Like, no one had an impact on this world. No one made a difference in this world like Jesus. His very existence, him showing up on the scene, divides time in half. Jesus is the greatest man who ever lived. Why? Because Jesus was the greatest servant who ever lived. And so what we see in the life of Jesus is we see the character and nature of God on display. Remember, Jesus came only to do the will of the Father. He says, if you see me, you've seen the Father. And what do we see in Jesus? He's the greatest servant ever. So listen, here's what that tells me. God is a servant. Now that's been the same reaction in every service. I say God is a servant and no one's like, yeah, amen to that. Because we hear that and because we think of servanthood a certain way, there's a little bit of something in us that goes, I don't know about that. God's a servant? Because, because we see it the wrong way. See, we have no problem giving attributes to our great God that we aspire to have in ourselves. Like when I say God is all powerful, yeah, I can get on board with that. Amen. Why? Because we like the idea of power. We like the idea of having power. And so we want a God who's powerful. Like if I said, God is, is pretty, you know, pretty okay. You're kind of like, oh, really? <laughs> like that doesn't inspire us, does it? But when I say God's all powerful, it's like, yeah, that, that I can get on board. I like that idea. The Bible makes it clear that God is all knowing. We like that idea. We, we say in the world, you know, knowledge is power. We, we go to college and we get, we get degrees, advanced education. Like we see that as something powerful, something we aspire to have. Education, being smart, knowing stuff. That's, that's, we like that. So we like that in our God, that he's all-knowing. That's good news. We like that. The Bible says that God is, is everywhere present. We like that because it speaks to this idea of control, Right? Like you probably heard a mom say before, I wish I had eyes in the back of my head. What she's saying is, I wish I could see everything that was going on all the time with my kids. I wish I could be around them all the time. Why? Because if I could, I could have more control over what's going on. That's what she's speaking to. And so we like that idea of control. We like that. 
And so these things like God's powerful, God, God has control, God has knowledge, like we like that because we like that in ourselves. But when I say God is a servant, we struggle with that a little bit. But, but understand this, it's through servanthood that we tap into the power of God. It's the path of servanthood that God empowers so that God can be displayed through our life in a powerful way. So, so walking in servanthood is bearing the image of God in this world, of our great Jesus in this world. And it's the way that we step into walking in the power of God and, and seeing God's will be done and his kingdom come in this world. It's through servanthood. So if you're a person that, you know, we say this all the time, we're practicing the way of Jesus. All right, guess what? The way of Jesus is the way of serving. That's what Jesus displayed. He came and he laid down his life for others. He served like no one else. He's the greatest servant who ever lived. And so if that was the way of Jesus and we're practicing the way of Jesus, then we have to practice the path of servanthood. And it's through the path of servanthood that we arrive at the greatness of God. So let me give you four examples of Jesus displaying this concept of servanthood through his life. Number one, if you're taking notes, you can write this down. Jesus served big needs. Jesus served big needs. Have you ever had a day where like you just have like several problems arise, like big problems, and you end that day kind of going, man, today was an interesting day. That was Jesus every day. Every day, massive problems are being brought to him. People who have issues, people who are trying to like undercut his message. He's got these people who are sick, like sick, like blind, can't walk, have leprosy, diseases that are just terrible. People that are dead. Dead is a problem. It's a big need. Someone's dead. And yet what we see in the life of Jesus is every time someone is brought before him with one of these big needs, he always brings renewal and resurrection and redemption. He always addresses it, tackles it head on and, and brings life to the situation. And beyond just the people that he was dealing with in the days that he walked the earth, I hope you know Jesus dealt with the big need that every person in this room has. Remember I just said how death is a big problem? Just so you know, the problem that the world was facing prior to Jesus was a sin problem, which means you're not bad, you're dead. We were dead in our sins. And Jesus came and he died on the cross for us. He made a way. Jesus came and he suffered for us. Now, now listen, I've heard it said before, like Jesus came to die. He didn't come to die. He came to live. He came to overcome death so that we through him could live. And so now through him, we can step into the life of God. We can be forgiven. We can be connected with God. I'm so grateful that Jesus didn't look at the problem of sin and say, man, I'm apathetic to that. I can't really do much about that, so why bother? And yet sometimes that's, I think, what we do as people. We look at the big problems of the world, and because they feel so big, and we think, I can't really do anything to do major you know, damage to the bigness of that problem, so I just won't do anything. Or what we see is, I know what I'll do. I'll gripe about it. It's not helping, the griping thing. 
But what God is inviting us to do is to look at these big problems and to say, okay, what can I do? What's the Holy Spirit saying to me? What, what is in my hands, what is in my control that I can begin to bring impact to this big problem? So, so we, like at New Song Church, we, we've had a lot of people that have come up to us in the lobby and said, man, this abortion issue, it's such a big issue, we need to do something. And, and we see that, and so we, we, we launch a ministry called Embrace Grace. And it was amazing, because after we launched it, we still have people coming up to us saying, we gotta do something about this abortion issue. And I'd say, yeah, that's why we launched Embrace Grace. Are you involved in Embrace Grace? And they're like, well, no, I don't really have time for that. <laughs> okay, well, what do you have time for, griping to me? We got all these political issues and these people, okay. Well, you know, yes, go vote, vote Christian morals. Good, good for that. But do you pray for these leaders as well? Well, I can't do anything, so why do anything? No, listen, the, the, the point is that we're God's people. And even in these situations where we look at it and we say it feels hopeless, there's always hope because Christ in you, listen, Christ in you is the hope of glory. It's Christ in you being displayed in these areas where, the, where God's glory can be displayed, where God can do something miraculous and bring the kind of change. So I encourage you, don't look at the big needs of this world and just say, I can't do much, so I'm not going to do anything. What can you do? Jesus dealt with big needs, and we need to be, as his people, we need to serve in the big needs. Here's number two. Jesus served small needs. Jesus served small needs. So one of the things you'll notice in the life of Jesus is in his life, he, there's a statement that seems to come out of scriptures, all the gospels over and over again. This, this, this saying of, my time has not yet come. Because everything Jesus was doing was, was, was moving him towards the cross, to this ultimate act of redemption that he was going to bring to the world. Everything he was doing was bringing him to that place. But in the process of getting to the big need he came to serve, he didn't also dismiss the small needs that were all around him. He served in the small needs as he was dealing with the big need. And, and, and it's amazing because sometimes Jesus does stuff and, and like performs miracles. And really, at the end of the day, like what he was serving the miracle for was not, in the grand scheme of things, that big of a need. Like, for example, the first miracle that Jesus ever did, he turned water into wine. Now, people were not dying of thirst at this wedding, it doesn't say that people were laying all over the place parched to death. No, but Jesus served this need and performed a miracle in the midst of this need. And at the end of the day, he was just kind of being cool. Just serving people because this was a need he could serve in. Jesus served this, this small need. Uh, there's another story in John chapter 21 where Jesus cooked fish for the disciples. They're out on a boat and they've been fishing all night and they're coming in and Jesus calls out to him and says, hey, you guys want something to eat? And they come in and he's, he cooks them some fish tacos for breakfast. <laughs> and it doesn't, it doesn't say, it doesn't say that they were dying, like they weren't starving to death. What, what did Jesus see? I love these guys and they're probably hungry and I can serve them this small need. I'm going to serve them. There's another story where Jesus calls a child into his lap. Why? Because the people around him, his disciples, his people, don't see the value that, that God has for these little kids. And so he calls this little child up in his lap and he says, this is what the kingdom of God's about, guys. Of such is the kingdom of heaven. 
What he's saying is, hey, just so you guys know, this little kid matters to God. And because this kid matters to God, he ought to matter to you. Here's the point. Jesus looked at these things and said, what matters to God should matter to you. And, and so we can't, as God's people, look beyond the small needs that matter because we're so focused on ourselves or on what we care about. So here, here's what this looks like, okay? Like in your home, what, what, what leadership looks like in a home is being the greatest servant. Like I just believe what Jesus said because I believe the word. And Jesus says, whoever wants to be great must be a servant. Jesus said this, I'm gonna talk to you husbands for a minute. Jesus talking about what it means to be a husband. The Bible tells us that, that, uh, that to be a husband, you gotta lay down your life as Christ did for the church. Like that's what it looks like. So, so here's what this means. It means in order to be a leader in my home, I have to be the greatest servant in my home. That's what it truly looks like to be a leader. That means I gotta hustle to outserve everybody in my house. I gotta look at the needs that are all around me and I gotta strive to meet those needs and serve my family and outserve everyone. That's, that's my call as the, as the leader in my home. That's what I'm called to do. If I wanna be a leader, I gotta do that. I, I think like young people, we, we hear like, what did Jesus do? Okay, let's think about that. What would Jesus do if he was in my home? What would Jesus do if his parents were my parents and, and, and Jesus' parents, who were my parents, asked Jesus to put away his laundry? Do you think they would have had to ask Jesus twice? And all the parents said, amen. Husbands, you think if Jesus walks by the sink and he sees it full of dishes, he's just gonna walk by and go, oh, somebody else will get to that. And all the wives said, yeah. and I ain't messing with you wives. I'll end it there. <laughs> I'm smart. I'm smart. Here's my point is like in your school, in your, like in your job, like we're to work as unto the Lord. What you did for the least of these, you did for me, Jesus says. Like, what does that look like? Like, what's the Holy Spirit saying to you? Uh, not just get the job done, but get the job done in such a way that I display the character and nature of Jesus in my job. I display the character and nature of Jesus in my school. I display the character and nature of Jesus on my team. Wherever you find yourself, Jesus served the small needs and we're his people called to look like him, called to bear his image. So we got to dig in and we got to serve like nobody else. Here's number three. Jesus served ugly needs. Jesus served ugly needs. In John chapter 13, we read about Jesus washing the disciples' feet. And we hear this story today. And because like we're used to it, like we've, we've all heard this story, Jesus washed feet. It's not as shocking as it was to the disciples when this was going down. I hope you know, when Jesus pulls out this basin and begins to start going around washing the disciples' feet, their jaws were on the floor. They didn't know what to do. They find themselves, like, and I love it. Jesus' disciples are all the time, I think they're always in this place of like, I don't know how we're to respond here. <laughs> so just a couple things. Feet are nasty, right? We, we agree. Like we get it, feet are gross, we don't like feet. 
people who like feet, like we know that's like, <laughs> not cool. <laughs> and in Bible times, when Jesus was here, like it was even worse. The, the, like our feet are probably really, really nice compared to, you know, disciples' feet. There, it's a sandal wearing culture with dirt roads and these roads, like the same roads that they walk down are the same roads that, that they, their animals go down and animals defecate and urinate on these roads. And so all of that is kind of in the road and, and their sweaty sandal wearing feet are walking down these dirt roads. So just attracting all of that onto their feet. And, and so then every night they'd come into their house and they have dinner. And how they would sit for dinner is they'd sit at this table kind of on the ground and you would have your feet out to the side and then the person beside you. So your feet are here. The person beside you, their feet are here. So it's feet, feet, food. <laughs> so how many, like, if that's your situation, you're going to want the feet to be clean. And so there was typically someone in the home and their job was to clean the feet, like to wash the feet. And it was normally the lowest servant in the home. And so Jesus, in this moment, with his disciples, begins to start doing what is typically reserved for the lowest servant in the home. Pulls out this basin. And, and like, guys, this didn't take like three minutes. This probably took 15 to 20 minutes. He had to fill the basin up with water, take it to a disciple's feet, get down in front of them, wash their feet, pat their feet dry with this towel, then go take that basin outside, dump it out, refill it, and then come to the next disciple 12 times he does this, even with the disciple who's going to betray him. Jesus served an ugly need. There's another story in, uh, in Luke chapter 8 where Jesus shows up at this island where there's this guy who was like the town crazy. His name was, or not his name, but they called him the demoniac. That was his nickname. That's a bad nickname. Like, think about that. Demon maniac. That's his nickname. You don't want that nickname. That, that nickname means something ain't right. And we know this to be true. Like this guy, he lives on this island by himself. He's chained up. He breaks the chains. He cuts himself all the time. Nobody knows what to do with this guy. We know from the rest of the story that he had a thousand demons in him. And yet Jesus, and it's, it's unique because Jesus like goes out of his way to go to this island to meet this guy and to serve this need. And he doesn't do anything else there. They go there, he serves this need, and then they go back to what they were doing before, sail away from there back to where they were. Here's my point, is that Jesus was willing to serve ugly needs. He was willing to go to some ugly places and serve in some ugly areas. And I think sometimes this gets lost in us. Like we, we especially in the church of today, we've kind of taken on this mindset of like, if I'm going to serve, it's got to be in my sweet spot. So I'm going to take a gifts assessment test and I'll get plugged in as soon as you figure out exactly what's the best way for me to serve. Now listen, I'm into gifts, like that's great, okay? But I don't think that's displaying the image of Jesus. Like Jesus didn't just serve at what he was really good at. Like just so you know, Jesus didn't die on the cross because he was really good at dying on crosses. He died on the cross because it was the need of the people. It was the need of the world. And he served in the area of need. But I think we bought into this idea, like, I just want to serve and it needs to be convenient. Listen, sometimes it's going to be inconvenient. 
Sometimes it's going to mean sacrifice. Sometimes it's going to cost you. Serving the Lord is going to cost you. It's going to cost you some money sometimes. It's going to cost you some time. It's going to cost you. You're going to, like, serving Jesus this way means that sometimes you're going to have to deal with people that are, like, annoying. You're going to have to deal with situations that are not always ideal. Like, but, but we serve like Jesus serves. So we, so we have a heart that says, I'll, I'll do whatever's necessary. I'll serve whatever need is in front of me. I'll, I'll go hold that baby that cries every weekend. Of course I'll do that. Yeah, at least it's not a demoniac. <laughs> Whatever. I'll go serve in the parking lot. Like I'll, I'll stand out there and wave at people. I'll, I'll greet people. Like I'll, I'll do this stuff it's, because it may not be like my sweet spot. I've yet to find the person whose sweet spot is the parking lot. You're really gifted at parking lot. You're the way you move your arm, that's a, that's a gift. No, but we do it because it's serving the Lord. And just so you know, it's a big deal. Statistics tell us that by the time someone comes to church, they make a decision if they're going to come back within the first 15 minutes. So when, you come to, when someone comes to a new song for the first time, especially if they have kids, in the first 15 minutes, they've parked their car, they've maybe started the process of checking in their kids, maybe they've gotten in this room and heard like the first part of the first song, and they've already decided at that point if they're ever going to come back. I'm telling you, it's a big need. It's an important need. And so we have to be willing to say, God, whatever, I'll serve wherever you want me to. I'll serve the big needs, I'll serve the small needs, I'll serve the ugly needs, because you served me so greatly. And then number four, we, Jesus served servers. Luke chapter nine, this is the story of Jesus feeding the 5,000. You probably heard this said before, and it's true that that was just the men who were counted. There were probably, could have been up to 20,000 people there. If you include you know, women and children, at least probably 10,000 people were there that day. And Jesus has been teaching and preaching and going on and on and and it, it says in, in Scripture that when the day began to wear, wear away, the disciples come to him and they say this, verse 12, send the crowd away so they can go to the surrounding villages and countryside and find food and lodging because we are in a remote place here. He replied, this is Jesus, you give them something to eat. Again, funny. <laughs> They're coming to Jesus. Jesus, it's been a great message, good stuff. And, uh, but it's getting late and these people, you know, it's a long way home. They're getting hungry, I'm sure. We probably ought to cut them loose, let them get back to their families or at least find somewhere else that they can lodge for the night. We'll pick up, why don't we just pick up tomorrow? Part two of, you know, this message would be great. Let's pick it up. And Jesus looks at them. No, you give them something to eat. And again, they're probably going, I don't know what we're supposed to do right now. So they, they say to Jesus, we don't, we don't have anything. And Jesus says, well, look again. So, so Jesus in this moment, the disciples are looking at this big problem and they're saying, we don't really have anything to offer this big problem. Jesus says, no, 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 you do look again. And I think that this is where we can find ourselves. Sometimes we look at the big problems, we look at the small problems, we look at the ugly problems. And we say, God, I don't really have much to bring to this. And Jesus says, look again. What, what do you have? You got air in your lungs? Can you smile? Can you be kind? Can you muster that up for a little bit to, to serve needs around you? And so the disciples go off and they, they find this kid who's got like a, a long John Silver's little basket of 
hush puppies and chicken planks. Fish planks, fish planks, sorry. And it's funny, I, I read this this week and I was kind of like, is that all? Like, there's possibly 10,000 plus people there. This is all they could come up with. I don't think they were really trying. Like, let's be real. I think they found this and they said, you know what, let's just bring this to him. We, and, and he'll probably say, okay, this is all you guys could find. Yeah, let's go ahead and cut him loose. So they bring this to Jesus and he looks at it and he says, and, and he doesn't dismiss it. They bring something that in the grand scheme of the need looks very pathetic. But what does Jesus do? He takes what they bring, he blesses it, he multiplies it, and he gives it back to them so that they can give it to others. And what does the Bible go on to say? It says that everyone is fed and there was enough left over to, over to fill up multiple baskets. Here, here's what I want you to see. When we're willing to go to God with what we have, you may look at what you have right now and say, this is so little compared to the problem. But when you're willing to take what you have and bring it to the Lord, and present it to him and say, God, I don't have much, but this is what I have. And I'll give it to you. Jesus takes what you offer him. He blesses it. He'll multiply it so that it can be a blessing to the world around you and display his kingdom in this world, but also so it's a blessing for you and your family and you got more than enough for you too. So the question is, here's the question. What you got? What you got? I've been a Christian my whole life. I was raised in church. I'm one of those kids. And I've been serving in ministry since I was 18 years old. I just turned 43, uh, when was that? I'm getting old, 40, Friday. In fact, here, this is kind of sad. I thought I was turning 42. <laughs> that was weird. I've reached the point in my life where I'm like losing years. Anyway, I've been in ministry a long time. And one of the things I've noticed about God, and it, it's so amazing how he does this, is is God is like the master of disguise. He's the master of taking things that sometimes we look at and we say, that doesn't seem that important, that doesn't seem that significant, that doesn't seem that impactful, and wrapping up all sorts of purpose and relationship and life in it. And it's not till we're willing to say, God, I'll just do what you're asking me to do that we see God reveal friendships and, and purpose and things inside of us. I've seen it over and over again in my life that when I was willing to say, God, this is what I have. It, it, it's not much, but I'll give it to you that God would then bless me and, and bring me to places of greatness where his greatness can be displayed through me. When I was uh, 17 years old, um, I, I was getting ready. It was between my, my junior and senior year. And I was kind of looking at this year like this is going to be the summer of Josh. I'm going to just, you know, I'm going to lift weights all summer and I'm going to work at Abercrombie and it's going to be great. <laughs> Little window into 17-year-old Josh there. But I, I kind of had my plan for how my summer was going to go. And I went to church like right after school got out. And at the church I, I worked at, we had a camp called Camp Dry Gulch, a summer camp for kids. And this guy who was the head of the camp, his name was Roy Evans, General Roy Evans was what we called him. He came up to me and he said, hey, Josh, I'm short male counselors this summer. Would you be willing to come and be a camp counselor this summer? And I remember being there just kind of being like, uh, okay, I'll do it. And probably one of the most impactful summers of my life. That summer I got called into ministry. God revealed in a moment what he had called me to in a significant way. 
And that same summer, he also began to show me the path that he was gonna take me down to lead me where he was going. It was all wrapped up in a simple, yeah, Lord, I'll, I'll serve those kids, sure. I'll do it. And I'm telling you, if you'll just take on that attitude, I've seen it time and time again, where God will just take what you're willing to lay down for him, what you're willing to serve him, and he'll take it. And man, he'll, he'll, he'll bring promotion and blessing to your life through it. I, I, I do, I find myself today in a place where I look at my life and I'm like, God, man, to God be the glory. Thank you so much. You can ask our team, you can ask my wife. I say it all the time. Who has it better than me? And I believe that. I'm not just saying that as a faith statement. I'm so grateful. But it it was the path of servanthood that's led me to the place that God has brought me to. And it was the path of, of servanthood that led me to see God do amazing things so that I could walk in faith into the greater things God has for me. Because see, it was that path of servanthood of taking these little things and taking faithful steps in them that led me to a place where about eight years ago, God said, okay, it's time to plant a church. I want you to move to Oklahoma City. I want you to leave this job you have and this income you have. And I want you to go to this city. And I want you to plant a church in this city where you know no one that I was able to go, yeah, of course. You've always been faithful and I know you'll be faithful. If you invite me to serve, it's because you've got something great in mind. Here's the point. There's a path that leads to the greatness of God and it's the path of servanthood. And it's through that path that God can display his greatness in this world, in you and through you to the world around you. So what you got? What you got? Would you bow your heads, close your eyes? What's the Holy Spirit saying to you today in this message? Maybe for you today, there's a tug on your heart to just recognize your role in the place God has you in serving. Your role in your home, your role in your marriage, your role with your kids, not trying to lord over people, but saying, God, I want to be a servant. I want to look like you. I want to look like Jesus. What's God saying to you? Related to your home, related to the church, related to how you're living. Lord, I just pray that you bring a revelation to every person here today. But we believe that we're called to be a great church for our great God and a great people. Not not so that people would look at us and say, oh man, look how awesome they are, but so people would, through our life, see how awesome and great you are. So Lord, we, we just surrender to you and say, God, use me. Have your way in my life. Like Romans 12, we, we offer our bodies, we offer our life as a living sacrifice to be holy and pleasing and acceptable to you. Let it be our, our spiritual act of worship, our act of sacrifice, Lord. Let that be an act of worship unto you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm gonna invite our altar ministry team to come down at this time. I wanna remind you something as we go into this, this moment. Through the cross, Jesus served you in every area of need you could ever imagine. So to the person today who feels distance from God, you don't feel close to God, you feel like you're away from God, Jesus came and died on the cross so you could be close to God, so you could be forgiven, so you could have a relationship with a holy, perfect God that through him you can be forgiven. 
And if you feel like you're away from God, I want to invite you to come down. Let one of these guys know. We would love to serve you by praying for you and, and helping you to understand the steps that you need to take in order to walk out this life of salvation that God invites us to. Maybe you're here today and you're dealing with sickness in your body. I want you to know that Jesus served you in the area of healing. By his stripes, you were healed. The grace for the healing that you need has been made available. And by faith, you can receive of the work that Jesus has already done for your healing. And so like I, like I was saying earlier, if it matters to God, it needs to matter to you, right? Well, that's why we do this, because you matter to God. And if it matters to you, it's got to matter to his house, his people. And so we'd love to pray for you. We'd love to stand in faith with you and pray with you. And, and, and don't dismiss it because, you're, because it's small and don't dismiss it because it's big. Whether you have cancer and, and they've told you you've got a month to live or you've got a headache right now, like whatever the case is, if it matters to you, it matters to God. Maybe you need wisdom right now. You know, God wants to reveal truth to you. He wants to make his truth readily available. He's got a path and a purpose for your life and he wants to direct you and lead you in the path that he has for you. So we'd love to pray with you that God would show you and direct you in the path of the plan. But the point is this, don't leave today with a burden. Jesus made a way so that you can be, so you can receive. And it's through the cross that we're able to receive of all the greatness of God. So if that's you today, I wanna encourage you, don't leave today with a prayer burden at all. Whatever it may be, no matter how big or how small or anywhere in between big and small, like let's present this before the Lord and let's partner with people in prayer, amen? Would you stand with me? We're gonna go back into a time of worship. If you have a prayer need, you can go ahead and start making your way down to the altar right now. If not, let's just engage with the heart of God one last time. In fact, did you, would you lift your hands? If you're comfortable, lift your hands. Lord, we love you. We're so grateful for the cross. We're so grateful for what Jesus has done for us. We're so grateful for the grace that he's made readily available to us. Lord, thank you for being the greatest servant of all time who served us in our area of need. And Lord, I pray that, that if there's anyone here today under the sound of my voice who has a prayer need of any kind, that they would step out and receive what you've done for them today. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks again for listening. For more information on our church or for more resources to help you grow in your faith, go to newsongpeople.com or download our app by searching for New Song Church OKC in the App Store.